Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. The few, the proud, those who set their alarms last night, right? That's why we're glad you're here and woke up this morning and you're worshiping with us. Those of you tuning in from home in your pajamas, we're glad you're watching as well. A few uh, announcements to share with you this morning. First, a huge thank you to those who worked with the Zoombathon yesterday. Uh, Holly just let me know that they raised over $1,000 yesterday afternoon uh, for Challengers Baseball League. That is huge. So uh, be thankful that a lot of sweat went into the fellowship hall yesterday as those ladies and gentlemen uh, did their Zumba yesterday. So that's an awesome opportunity for the Challengers League. This coming Friday, uh, it's uh, round two of our bingo night. We hope that you'll uh, make it here to church. Uh, it was a great time last time. We had a blast. Uh, we just asked that you would bring something uh, small for to kind of like a trade as a uh, silent auction type thing, or you can bring cookies, whatever you want to do, baked goods, any of that kind of stuff. But come here to the church uh, to have fun with us from 6.30 to about 8.30. It was a blast. There was about 40 of us last time that just had a great party uh, with Bingo, so we hope that you'll make plans to join us uh, this coming Friday for that as well. Downstairs is the college from Wooster work group. They're, uh, hopefully they're still sleeping this Sunday morning as they prepare to work this week, but we're going to break bread with them this coming Wednesday night for Wednesday night dinner. Uh, there are about 13 ladies and four gentlemen that came here from the College of Wooster, which is a PCUSA school uh, in Ohio. This is the international group. And they're going to work at Hezekiah House this week with Jack. And so we're thankful for them to be here. So please pray for them as they are journeying uh, through the work this week. It's going to be a cold week for them, but we hope that they're here. And if you know a high school senior, we do have uh, scholarships available here at the church. So talk to Holly about that uh, for more information on those things. And again, we hope that you'll stay for us with us on Wednesday after dinner for Bible study. And now we're going to have a minute for mission from Miss Connie Ivey. Because of God's, of people's gifts to one great hour sharing, we now live in a permanent and disaster-resistant shelter. My kids are back in school. I am able to feed and clothe them. And when they get sick, I am able to take care of their medication too. Thank you. And may the Lord continue to provide for those who continue to give to one great hour sharing. These are the words of Smitha Krishnan, her husband died just before India's last tsunami. She was left to provide for their five children. Her home was destroyed, as well as the sewing machine she used as a seamstress to support them. As a member of the lowest caste, she would be forbidden to draw water from the common well, could not enter the temple to worship, received only food left over from the higher caste, and was not guaranteed a right to education. A grant from Presbyterian Disaster Assistance and a non-governmental organization provided shelter and sewing machines and other essentials so she and her family face a more hopeful future. One great hour of sharing's purpose of helping neighbors in need and around the world gives us a tangible way to share God's love. Please support the one great hour of sharing this Lenten season. You can use these envelopes if you're here, and you can do it online, however that's done. Please join me in this prayer. 
sheltering God, may our prayers and gifts support those all around this world who have little and whose lives are impacted by floods, famine, and disease. May we show your love in our gifts and in our lives. Amen. As I've said before, that is one of the neatest offerings that we take up uh, or collect during the year. It's something that multiple denominations collect, and it's a great way for us to be a witness in the world of our faith, but also sharing together and helping the world become a better place. So I hope that you'll take time to, uh, to make an offering for that. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God. Good morning. Please join me in the call to worship from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all clouds. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. Lock under his care. Come, let us worship the triune God. Please stand if you are able and join us in our opening hymn, number 224, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
It is now time for the passing of the peace. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Our call to confession this morning is from the Second Helvetic Confession. We believe in God alone. We call upon God and we do so through Christ. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself, human, who takes away the sins of the earth. Therefore, let us now corporately offer our confession of sin. Glorious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be true living water, which gives us life to the world. Evermore refresh us with this water, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you, Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please take a moment for silent confession. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I have separated your sins as far as the east is from the west, though your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming is that he has separated us from our sin, that our old life is gone and our new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace. I pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. From the wildernesses of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites joined by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do for this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
You may be seated, and at this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. Okay, we're going to play a little game today. Do you like games? Okay. So, <clears throat> Eva, you're going to be my helper. Okay, so come here. I'm going to tell you something, and then you're going to pick one of these two people to tell. And whichever one you tell, they have to tell the other person. And then that person is going to tell me and everybody else what you and I said first. Make sense? So you just have to listen to what I say, okay? I'm going to take my microphone off so they can't shoot. Come here. I'm going on vacation to Barbados. Did you hear it? You sure? Okay. All right. What do you think the message is? I'm going on vacation to New York. Is that what you heard? Is that what you heard? No. All right, let's try it again. You ready? Let's try it again. Come here. I'm going on vacation. I heard You're going on vacation. You don't know where? You don't know? You didn't hear it right? Take a guess. Barbados? That's close. That's close. All right, let's try it one more time. Here we go. So the message didn't come through. The message was, I'm going on vacation to Barbados and Zimbabwe. Those were hard words, weren't they? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> How well did you, did you do okay? Do you feel, feel like you did okay? You did okay, right? They were the ones that messed it up, right? Okay. Now, okay, so here's how this works. That's like, have you ever played this game before? Yeah, okay. It's tough to ever get the whole message right, isn't it? And so one of the challenges is when I whisper something to Eva, she hears it. It may not be exactly what I said, but she hears it, and she tries to repeat that, right? And then as you try to tell Olivia what's going on, I mean, Elliot could be the mess up here, right? Do we think it's Elliot? I'm, I'm blaming. I'm thinking it could. I mean, clearly, right? She's the oldest. She should know better, the, right? <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> but now see, I just started another rumor, right? I just said that it was Elliot that messed it up. But the fun part is, I told her two different things two different times. I never kept the message the same any time, did I? Nope, okay. But I kept saying what was right or wrong, right? And that's a, that's a weird practice that when we try to repeat something that somebody else tells us, we think we're doing the right thing, 
But sometimes it ends up being not the right thing, does it, right? And who knows if I'm even telling the truth. Do you think I'm really going on vacation to Barbados or Zimbabwe? No, neither place. Probably just going to Orlando to see my daughter later this summer, right? But so I could have been telling a fib the whole time. The story that we're getting ready to read is a story about a time when a lady met with Jesus at a well. And when she met with Jesus, there were all kinds of different rumors about the lady. And people talked about her, and they made fun of her, and they judged her because of what other people said. And it's a story of how Jesus accepts us exactly how we are, not because of what somebody else says about us or the way that that we are. Like, he knows us. He knows deep inside us. He knows us because he's God, and he accepts us regardless of how we are. So it's a cool thing to say. Maybe we shouldn't tell stories about other people that we don't know are true, but also we have to listen really, really carefully so that we know what the truth really is, okay? So who's the best person to listen to, we think, in life? God, right? God will teach us and direct us and guide us, okay? So we're going to pray. We're going to pray for people that like to gossip. We're going to pray for people that like to listen to gossip. That means we're going to pray for everybody, okay? All right? And we're going to pray for God to continue to forgive us, all right? Let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you, and we're so glad that there's a place called Barbados and Zimbabwe. Please help us and others who gossip or listen to gossip to just stop. We love you. Amen. Okay, now go collect some change, okay? There you go, ladies. While they're doing that, I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4. Pretty much going to read the whole chapter. You've likely heard this story before. It's a great story. It's one of my favorites. Listen to God's holy word. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was around noon. About that time, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have, have to keep coming to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that, Messiah, that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Now just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left the water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and went on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around, and you shall see the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, and the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for your story, and we thank you for the way that you interact with us in the form of story. Lord, we ask that you would grant us an understanding of this, your word, this day. And we say these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. This is an interesting time of year, uh, I think at least. This is a time of the year when 
the legislature, at least in our state, is kind of trying to wrap things up, right? Mark's going to be really busy the next couple of weeks reporting on all the, the madness and, and nonsense that's going to happen in the, in the legislature. And I, I also think it's kind of a weird time that, except for Mark, Mark is not, Mark is not included in what I'm going to say next, right? Most of the time, we get, we get some controversies that come about this time of year, right? We get certain people that are uh, leaders in our legislature in the state of West Virginia, or maybe even at the, 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 the country level, at the, the bigger, larger issue. A senator may be mad at somebody in the House of Delegates, and they will say things like, this is so controversial that so-and-so would do this, or so-and-so would do that. Can you believe what the blankety-blanks want to do? And depending on what your political party is, you probably watch a source of news that lines up with your politics, right? So if you tell me what newspaper you read, or what articles you read, or what news station you watch, I could pretty much deduce, again, except unless you're listening to Mark, Mark's pretty fair, right? Fair and balanced. We could pretty much figure out where we are politically. And oftentimes, we tend to stay within our team, right? And it's easy for us to have conversations about the other team, right? Now, if I were speaking about athletics right now, None of you all would be nervous, right? You wouldn't be nervous, but because I said something about politics from the pulpit, <gasps> gasp, right? That in and of itself is likely going to be received as controversial, right? When you look at the things that divide us, it kind of encapsulates what team we're on and it kind of builds whatever our plan is for the future. Well, because we believe this way, this is how we do thus and such. We Christians, I think, are controversial in that sometimes we believe in God's grace for us as individuals, but we have sometimes a difficult time being gracious with other people. Sometimes it's easy for us to sit in a space where we can say things like, that person did this, and can you believe so-and-so did that? Listen to this. Oh my gosh, did you hear what happened here? Can you believe so-and-so did that? This week when I was studying for the sermon, I was looking at a bunch of different websites. Uh, there's one in particular that I love. Uh, it's from the University of uh, it's a Lutheran seminary, actually, not the university. It's a Lutheran seminary in Minnesota. I love it. It's amazing. Uh, it's, a, it's a great gift. You should check it out sometime. But on that page, there was an article from a fellow who is a sometimes columnist at uh, Huffington Post. Uh, he is the former president of Luther Seminary in Philadelphia. He's the former director of the Center for Biblical Preaching at Luther Seminary. And he had a very controversial statement uh, that he wrote about maybe eight or ten years ago. I'm going to read it to you right now. You're going to hear she is a prostitute. You're going to hear that she's a shady past, but I tell you she is not a prostitute. She does not have a shady past. Past. Yet millions of Christians will listen to her story this coming Sunday in church, and they're likely going to be told by their preacher that this woman is a woman of ill repute. Of course, he's speaking about the woman at the well. For church historic, 
We've oftentimes imagined that because she's going to the well at noon in the heat of the day, because Jesus talks about how many husbands she's had, because Jesus says to her, the man to whom, with whom you're with now is not your husband, because Jesus says all these things, she must be someone of ill repute. And that's not what's going on at all. There's this amazing bantering between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And when we say Jesus and the Samaritan, we're going to think of a few different stories. There's the story, obviously, of the Good Samaritan. That's more of a parable than an actual story. And then we have this encounter at the well. Jesus is fairly non-judgmental when he meets the woman at the well. Would you agree with that assessment? I mean, he's not really... I wouldn't say just at this basic reading, he's not really condemning her or anything. But there is this weird relationship because she is a Samaritan, and she points it out. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? It's important for us to know a little bit of background here. And it starts in the year 922 B.C. Israel had left the Union. Israel broke off from uh, the main kingdom of Israel, and so it created two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. The ten northern nations that kind of stole the name broke off uh, and went a different direction, not just theologically, but also uh, chose a different king based on the understanding of who the right king from David's lineage uh, would be after the death of Solomon. Fast forward about 200 years, Assyria captured Israel. And it took people out, it took the Jewish people out, while also bringing other people in. Fast forward about another 200 years, 150 years or so, Judah fell to Babylon. And many of the Jewish people that lived in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas were taken into captivity to Babylon. You can read about that in the book of Jeremiah. That lasted about 50 years. The people that were in Babylon were away for about 50 years. And then they got to come home at the Edict of Cyrus, which happened closer to the the end of the 6th century B.C. And they start to rebuild the temple. They were given permission from a guy you've probably heard of before. His name is Artaxerxes. You may have heard of him because you've actually read your Bible. I doubt that's the case. But you probably read it because you've heard about him in history class or on the History Channel or something like that. He's a real king, really lived, really ruled. And so if you happen to have read the book of Ezra, and you know that Artaxerxes is in the book of Ezra, you know that there's a time in the book of Ezra when the people who had been living in the land, or who had been brought into the land, either in the northern section when Assyria was ruling, or that Babylonian, uh, the exile of the most of the Jews, they, they also imported other people to the area as well. So either the people that were brought in in 922, or the people that were left behind uh, at, at about 587, either way, they approached the folks who had newly returned from exile and said, we want to help you build your temple. Now, oh my gosh, welcome to the neighborhood, right? We've got the best neighbors ever. Somebody's going to help us build a house? How awesome is that? Do you think that's what happened in the Bible? 
No, that's not at all what happened in the Bible. In fact, the people that had left Babylon, they realized, they were told by the prophet Jeremiah, the reason that you're being exiled is because you have had fake idols, false idols. You have done these nasty, terrible things. You've put idols in the temple. Don't ever do that stuff again. There is one God. Stay within your tribe. Just be with the Jewish people. Keep it clean. Keep it holy. I'm your God. You are my people. They'd been told that for the 50 years that they were enslaved in Babylon. We have to live perfect lives or God's going to do this again. So when they come back and they start digging and they start trying to build this amazing temple and their neighbors come by, they look at their neighbors and they say, we don't like you. You're not pure. You might look Jewish. You might smell Jewish. You might even taste Jewish. I don't know. But you're not Jewish because you have intermarried. You are not part of us. We have to stay pure or we're going to get kicked out of this land again. They come by that decision honestly. God had told the prophet Jeremiah, God had told the prophet Isaiah, I will bring you back, but I'm sent- you're in time out. You're in time out for 50 years. Don't ever do these things again. Well, that kind of upset the folks that were living there at the time. And so they decided to start a rumor, and they wrote a letter to Artaxerxes and said, if you let these people, they got these peopled, if you let these people build this temple, they're never going to send you tax dollars, they're going to be very, very powerful, they're going to rise up, and they're going to conquer you. So what do you think Artaxerxes says? Well, we can't let that happen. Make them stop building the temple. And so from that very moment, even though there probably should never have been a great amount of tension, there was tension between the people who were returning to their land and the people who were living on their land while they were away. Those were the Jews and those were the Samaritans. Now, 500 years later, Jesus asks for a drink of water. That's a loaded statement. (laughs) Our country has not existed for as long as the Jews and the Samaritans had been hating each other. And they hated each other because they couldn't figure out and they couldn't agree upon which mountain Yahweh should be worshipped. That's literally what's going on here. It goes way back to Genesis. They both claim Jacob as father. They both claim this well was given from Jacob to his son. Jacob's name became what? Jacob became Israel. This whole land belongs to the offspring of the people who descended from Israel. All of them. Guess what? It's the year 2023. What does the news tell us now? Samaritans and Jews like to fight with each other. Guess where? Jerusalem and Israel. It happens almost every day we hear something going on, right? So why is it that Jesus was so willing to enter into a conversation with somebody who was so unlike him, so not supposed to be in his realm whatsoever? Because God is a God of grace. Because God is a God that loves the Samaritans. God is a God who loves the Jews. God loved them when he put them in time out. Right? God loves us. We're not a part of that situation at all, but we hear a whole lot about it on our news, don't we? All of that is packed in 
to this section of Scripture. I'll even go further. When Jesus starts talking and says, go get your husband, and she says, I have no husband, they are arguing at such a mentally elevated level. They're not even talking about husbands. If you want to, you can turn with me really quickly to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 17, verse 24. And I want, if you're not turning there, that's okay. I want you to count the countries as I read them. Okay? 2 Kings 17, 24. You can look this up later. If I can get my thumbs to work today. Okay. 2 Kings 17, 24. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Zephyrphane. How many countries? Five. How many husbands? Five. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. Who's the one you're with now that's not your husband? Who rules over all of this land? Not the Jews. Not the Samaritans. Rome. They're arguing at such a philosophical level that if we read this just at an elementary level, we completely miss. They are talking about their deep, entrenched history together. They're speaking in code to one another because if a Roman would hear them complaining about who should live here and who should not live here, guess what could happen to both of them? They could be arrested. They could be put to death. About 30,000 Israelites were removed from that time period because they tried to change that area from being deeply, deeply Jewish. For thousands of years, that area was known as the, the land of the Jews. And they tried to change it then so that it could no longer have a claim because Rome wanted all of that area. This lady is not a half-breed. She's not an outcast. She's not heretical. She's being truthful. And Jesus sees her as she is. And she sees Jesus as he is. She says to him, you are a prophet. And Jesus says, I'll go further than that. I can provide you living water. Now, is it strange that she might be able to figure out that he's the Messiah? This woman... This woman who's gathering water at a well in the middle of the day likely doesn't have any friends. That's probably true because most of the women would go to the well in the early part of the day. She's going there at a very strange time. Maybe she's just thirsty. I don't know. But she's there nonetheless. And Jesus has a conversation with her, which should not happen. That's not really something that was culturally acceptable at the time for a man and a woman who were not related to each other or who were not engaged uh, to be probably married. They, they couldn't really speak like that in public unless they were, they were you know, being watched. But this very intelligent woman figures out that Jesus is the Messiah. And when she goes and she tells the rest of her people Come and meet a man who has told me everything I've ever done. He couldn't be the Messiah, could he? 
See, a woman with ill repute in the first century could not be given into testimony in court. Yet these people that she told we don't really know anything about, they believe her immediately. They immediately say, are you serious? And they want to go meet him. Now, sometime later today, go back and read John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is an interesting thing that obviously leads into John chapter 4, hence the numerical system. But John chapter 3 that we read last week, a time when a Jewish person is meeting Jesus at night under the cover of darkness so that he doesn't get in trouble. And now we have in the middle of the day a woman sitting at a well with Jesus who says, I want to know more. The challenge is, the end of chapter 3, all of the Jews want to chase Jesus out of town. In chapter 4, all the Samaritans say, please stay with us for a while. Please stay. We want to hear more. Sadly, John chapter 4 has been used as late as the 20th century to make an argument about how the Jews always get it wrong. If we can just fix the Jewish problem, we'll be able to live right? Unfortunately, the Jewish people have been fighting that problem for as long as they've existed. And that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that Jesus is opening up salvation, not just to the Jews, but to everyone. Jesus would even say to her, it's not going to be long. We're not going to fight over which mountain we should worship God on. We can worship God wherever we want to worship God. Which church is the right church to worship God? Which temple? Which mosque? Which synagogue? Wow, that's the things that we still fight about, huh? Now the disciples are astonished. They don't go and interrupt Jesus. They whisper to themselves, and maybe they start a rumor or two, the best decision that they could come up with is what? Jesus, maybe you should eat. <laughs> Maybe you're not functioning well on an empty stomach. Something's not right. You were just sitting with a woman at the well. Not just a woman, a Samaritan woman. You were talking to her. You were letting her talk to you. Have some matzah. Right? <laughs> Whatever it is they give him. Right? Because they were out shopping for food. Hey, you're hungry. You need to eat. And Jesus says, my goodness, quit your chirping. You think that the harvest is years away. The harvest is now. Look at this field. It's ripened. There's confrontation. There should be a controversial confrontation because Jesus is now unclean. He's spoken to this Samaritan woman. But instead, there's no confrontation. Jesus is able to say, your job is to harvest. They're going to welcome us to stay in this place. Welcome them into salvation. The strange thing about this story is that we could choose to be right. You could say, my goodness, Mark really was confusing today. He gave us a lot of history. I don't know what the point was, and that's okay. <laughs> Here's the point. Jesus loves us regardless of what we get right or wrong. Should I say that again? Jesus loves us despite what we get right or wrong. Sometimes I feel like our impression to the world of what Christianity is dictates what it means to be a righteous, moral human. 
that in order to be a Christian, you have to be perfect. You have to have this set of rules that you have to follow. There's a certain attire you have to wear. There's a certain way that you need to to make sure you're ready to worship. There's a certain position in that. Depending on what kind of church you walk into, you may feel those very things. I think this story is awesome because regardless of what station we are in our life, Jesus is willing to sit down and drink with us. He's willing to sit where we are and have a conversation. He's willing to approach someone who is literally the opposite of what should be expected and accepted. And he makes a difference in that person's life. As long as we see the field as a place filled with fruit that we do not like, that we do not recognize, that we don't want to taste, that we need to avoid, we're just being like his disciples in the first century. We're whispering in the background, creating rumors, and maybe not accurately witnessing what Christ has in store for us. How will we, this Lent, approach this world in which we live in? Will we welcome others to the kingdom of grace? Or will we say, not on my mountain? My prayer is that we will welcome, but we can only do that with the help of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. It's now time for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the many gifts and blessings that you've given to us in this life. Lord, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. All this we say in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Bit of an excitement with the note that was passed to me from Miss Donna, something we've been waiting on for quite some time. This Thursday, Donna's sister, Janet Walker, finally gets to have her gallbladder surgery. Uh, she'd been waiting on that for six months, eight months, how many months? Six months. Uh, so this is huge. So this is uh, what should be a routine surgery for most of us is not routine for Miss Janet. And so uh, let's pray for her for this Thursday and pray for Miss Donna as she cares for her sister from far away. I'm certain that there are other concerns that rest amongst us. Uh, let's lift all of our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do thank you that you meet us where we are, that you meet us in the strangest of places. We thank you, Lord, that for all of us, we were once part of a field that was ripe for the picking and that we were picked. We thank you, Lord, for the folks in our life who have led us to an understanding of what your grace is about. We pray, Lord, for all of the folks who worship this day, this weekend, this year. We thank you, Lord, for everyone who is a part of the Abrahamic faith. We pray, Lord, for peace amongst those three siblings. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for peace for Palestinians, for the Israelis. We pray, Lord, for peace for Jews who are scattered around this globe who face anti-Semitism every day. We're sorry, Lord, that that anti-Semitism sometimes comes at the hands of Christians. Forgive us, Lord, and grant us a sense of your hope and your peace that we may all await worshiping you in the great kingdom come. While we are still on this earth, Lord, we know that we have petitions and requests. We pray right now, Lord, for Janet. We pray, God, for her upcoming surgery. We pray for the path that she has traversed these last six months. We thank you, Lord, for all the medical attention she has received and that attention that she will receive this week. We pray for healing. We pray for all of those, Lord, who are under the watchful care of a physician, a therapist. We pray for healing. We pray for peace. We pray, Lord, as tensions continue to rise in Ukraine and Russia with China and Taiwan, we pray, God, for your peace to reign all over this globe. We pray for peace for the individual who fears worshiping publicly. We pray, Lord, for our sisters and brothers who gather secretively. We don't know them by name, but we lift them to you and pray for their safe being. We pray, Lord, for the end of wars, the wars we hear on the news, the wars we don't hear about on the news, we pray, Lord, for all of that hostility to cease. Let me beat our swords into plowshares. We pray, Lord, for tensions among families. We pray, God, for peace individually. We pray for those who are in leadership over us, our state and local leaders, our president, our elected officials in Washington. We pray, God, for our neighborhoods. We pray, Lord, for our schools, for our children. 
God, because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us, and in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you that you sent your Son to earth, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 792, There is a Bomb in Gilead.
So now's the time where I'm going to tell you about the title of my sermon, Dihydrogen Monoxide. It's one of the most dangerous chemicals known to humankind. It's found in every cancer cell. It was found at the spill site where the chemicals leaked into the river in East Palestine, Ohio. It's in you right now. It cannot escape you. And the weirdest part about it is you need it to survive. You know what dihydrogen monoxide is? It's water. But we could start a rumor, and a kid won a science fair because he talked about all the dangers of dihydrogen monoxide, and it created an entire world. On, on April Fool's Day, I wanted to get you so badly. I wanted for this text to match up to Palm Sunday so badly, but it didn't. See, we could talk about all the dangers of dihydrogen monoxide, right? Or we could say, our God is a God that provides for us a living water, a water you can't find on earth, a water that quenches your soul's thirst. That's the message that we should give. Amen? If we as Christians alter the way that we look at the world, I truly believe in the bottom, deepest part of my soul that God will use us to make this world a better place. So let's do that. Every time we leave this place, we're going into a mission field, a field ripe for the picking, for the harvest. Just open your eyes and see what God sees. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May it be with us all until we meet again, either here or His glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.